is an interesting passage in Paul's letter to the Romans. It's part of his defence for the righteousness of the law, but it touches on some really profound struggle that we as human beings, I think, all can relate to. And it's interesting because Paul's awareness of his struggle with sin doesn't seem to cause him any extra guilt feelings. It's um, remarkably practical in its nature and observation. His awareness moves from struggle to exaltation. Um, So let's see how Paul deals with this struggle that uh, he identifies within himself. There's a really interesting part of the Gospels just at the very end where Jesus is hanging on the cross and uh, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. That's from Luke 23 verse 34. And it's not a pious expression of moral superiority that Jesus is offering us. He's crying out for mercy and compassion for people who have found themselves caught up in forces that they do not understand and barely perceive. And while there was a process that led to Jesus' purported judicial execution, the reality was that the religious authorities were um, not simply prosecuting Jesus for blasphemy, they were both jealous and frightened of his growing power. And the, the civil judicial process found nothing worthy of death in him, And the crowd were akin to a weekend sports crowd looking for some amusement, really. They weren't really sure what was going on. And even the disciples who hours earlier had promised their lives in faithfulness weighed their lives to be more important than their faithfulness. And nobody properly understood what they were actively participating in. And this is a universal human trait. It's quite fascinating. We do stuff we don't understand. We might make an argument that uh, human beings are evolved from less intelligent species and some people are more evolved than others, right? Except animals behave in far more straightforward ways. You can actually understand animals' behaviour. It's very utilitarian. They do stuff for the outcomes that their behaviour achieves. About a decade ago, a professor, Bruce Alexander, a Canadian psychologist, did an experiment with rats and addictive drugs. He set up a nice environment for the rats to live in. I'll leave you to imagine what a nice environment for rats to live in might look like. And he gave them two water sources. One was laced with addictive drugs and the other was pure water. Addiction theory up to that time suggested that if the rats tasted the water with the drugs in it, they would be chemically drawn to it. They would get an addiction, a chemical addiction to the addictive drugs, and they would be physically hooked and compelled to return to that drugged water source. But the experiment actually showed that the the rats quickly worked out that the drugged water wasn't very good for them, and if they were looking for hydration, the pure water was the one to go for, and very few uh, rats ended up hooked on the drugs. Human behaviour is far more complicated than that. We appear far less utilitarian. We're often not aware of the things that we're 
seeking to achieve. And we tell all kinds of stories to ourselves and to others that are trying to explain what we're doing. But much of the time, much of our lives are kind of mysterious to us. We're not sure what we are doing and we're even less sure why we are doing it. And the reality is that we hide things from ourselves. There are things about our lives that actually we don't want to know. We hide uh, our motives behind acceptable stories. And this is a little bit, I think, what Paul is doing in a funny kind of way when he says, it's not me that's doing the sin. There's sin dwelling in me doing the sin. I'm not doing it. Made me think of my father who had a very significant trauma early in his life. He was eight years old when he fled Nazi Germany uh, without his Jewish parents who could not escape with him at that time. And I can only imagine how terrifying that would have been. It wasn't an uncommon story at the time for Jews in Europe. However, the impact on his life was quite complex. And one impact that I noticed was that my dad had a, a particular approach to his work. Uh, when I was quite young, he bought his own small business manufacturing rubber stamps. And he worked in that business for 12, 13, 14 hours a day, six and sometimes six and a half days a week. Now, no doubt my dad told himself and probably others that running a small business is hard work and he was working for the financial security of our family and there is truth to both of those things. But that did not quite square with his by and large utter neglect for us as family when it came to actually spending time with us. He was gone before I was awake in the morning and he came home either just as we were sitting down to dinner or as I was going off to bed. And I suspect for my father, work was his safe place. He understood what was going on there and more importantly, he ran the business so he was in control of what was going on there. Previous experience of when others were in control had taught him that that was a very distressing thing and so he spent long hours at work Earning money, yes, but I suspect it had more to do with him finding a place that he was comfortable being. I doubt my dad ever realised that, but that's my observation. Now, Paul is no ascetic. He says, nothing good is in my flesh, but... Oh, so I've just got to check something here. Please forgive me, but... Um, Something has malfunctioned. This is why we should use paper. Oh, that's come back. It's all right. Because this is a really good sermon. I didn't want to lose any of it. <laughs> Did anyone else see the panic in my face then? I really panicked. I thought, oh, gosh. Because it's a complex passage and I want to do it justice. Here we go. So Paul writes in this section of the Romans, and if this was the only part of Paul you knew, you might suspect that Paul was really an ascetic. He liked to be tough on himself to get some sort of spiritual gain, this kind of thing, treat himself harshly. But we know from other sections of Paul's letters in other, to other people that he, like Jesus, was happy to feast and enjoy the good life when that was appropriate. He was even willing to eat meat that had been offered to idols, if you read Corinthians chapter 10. Paul did not treat himself harshly for his own gain, but he would exercise the most strict of discipline if that would help even the least of his brethren 
become stronger in their faith. And so he makes an interesting argument here. He says there's a distinction. He identifies that he's, um, he's caught up in behaviours that are not helpful sometimes and he freely admits that he wants to do the thing that is helpful and he says that his mind and his conscious intent agree with the law, that the law is good. And this is, as I say, part of his argument supporting the law of God, that it is a good thing. So he says there's another law that his body seems to obey. Okay, so a little distinction here. There's a zombie-like obedience thing going on with his body, a little bit like his physical body was separated from his mind. Paul believes this. Uh, there's a kind of sin living in him. And this is fascinating. Paul is claiming that he is righteous and agrees with the law of God and he wants to be obedient to the call of God, but sin, somewhat like a spiritual coronavirus, has infected him. It is not him, any more than a person who gets coronavirus becomes coronavirus, but it's affecting him in a very complete kind of way. And so there's a tussle going on. Paul sets out to do X, but finds himself doing Y because his body just seems to want to do that. And it doesn't seem like it's a fair fight even because the flesh ambushes the will. It comes out of nowhere and hijacks the agenda and wins. Like my dad thinking that he's working hard for the good of the family, not seeing the damaging impact of his absence from the family as he did so. We believe we're doing one thing, but we may never realise that something quite different is going on. So Paul says he joyfully concurs with the law. Paul's mind knows what is good. He agrees with the law of God. He wants to be obedient to that law. And we often manage to discern what is good, don't we? We might observe the way someone else does life and think, well, that's quite good. I might, um, I might follow that example as well. And even though it's a good example to follow, it might be a really hard thing to do. We end up doing something different. And this made me think of muscle memory. There's this thing called muscle memory. When I was learning guitar and I would have to learn the shape of the chords and I'd look over the fretboard and line up my fingers and put them there and then I'd strum and then I'd move them to the next chord and I'd strum. And eventually as I did that over and over and over, I didn't have to look anymore. My fingers knew where to go and I could do it more and more quickly. If you do something often enough, it becomes second nature. That is, you do it without thinking. In fact, it becomes the thing you do unless you deliberately decide not to do it. It takes effort not to do that thing that's become second nature. And we grow up and are formed in a world that teaches us that we need to put ourselves first if we want to survive, no matter what it costs anybody else. There's no particular instruction book that says that, but it is pretty much writ large everywhere, all around us. A good deal of the time we can observe people who opt to excuse themselves and to soothe themselves 
rather than take appropriate responsibility and address what is going on. And that becomes second nature to us. Pretty much every Friday morning I drive my youngest daughter to school in Belrose across the Harbour Bridge going north into the jungles up there. And uh, that's pretty much the only regular driving I do. So 80% of the time that I get in the car to drive away from my home, I take the same route. I jump in the car, go across the Harbour Bridge and up to Belrose. If by chance I'm driving across the bridge and going to another location, I have to be really careful. Because if I stop thinking for a moment, I will find myself at Belrose every single time. I just revert to autopilot. I know the, the road really well, I know the turns, I find myself doing it. Without thinking, I will be at my daughter's school. Muscle memory is formed by this repetition and living in this world, we repeat the kind of behaviours, an auto-reflex to sort of look after ourselves first. Even when we might, might believe there's a better way of doing life, if we're not alert, we will just follow that muscle memory. We'll simply look after ourselves first. And this will arise in all sorts of subtle and different ways that we will cleverly hide from ourselves because we don't agree with that story, but somehow our body does. Paul says, thanks, to be, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, Jesus shows us an alternate way and calls us to follow him and there's a sense in which there will always be a struggle in this. Both a struggle to identify and then to let go of our assumed ways. A struggle to trust the new way that is shaped by the model that Christ offers us. We have to develop new muscle memory for putting Christ first and following his ways. And yet as we do that, we find a freedom from our auto-reflex default ways that just take us places that we're not thinking about. And we find a new liberty from the, the nagging frustration of being controlled by things that we don't understand. And we can make true choices to give our lives in ways that are meaningful for us. In my current season of working with a personal counsellor, I've come to discover the subtle power and yet powerful ways that my earliest experiences have shaped the assumptions that I use to understand my world and engage my world. And yet God's love for me in Christ not only subverts those assumptions, draining them of their power to determine what I do and don't do, Christ's resurrection life offers me an entirely new way of engaging everything. It genuinely offers me a real alternative. I can now choose to die to my assumed ways, my muscle memory. I can feel it leading me in one way and say, but I'm going to not go that way. I can choose to trust in and hope in a new way that I believe in because of the one who shows me that way, even if it's unfamiliar to me and I'm not sure where I'm going to end up. I trust the one who is showing me. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that he has lived and died and risen 
and calls us to follow him. Let's do that and pay attention to our default ways that we might die to those and follow him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your incredible grace to us means that we, even when we make mistakes, you call us to get up and keep going. And you model for us the way to love others and to give our life. And even though everything within us resists that, because everything in the world teaches us to resist that, you invite us to find a deeper freedom, to be free from this frustration of not going where we would want to go, to die and to live and to discover new life with you. In your precious name. Amen.